Hi there, and welcome to everyone, uh, like listeners or watchers of this um, vodcast. Um, anyway, how are you doing this week then, uh, Ralph? Yeah, I'm doing very well, Peter. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's a very good. beautiful day, and we're going to have a nice yeah. heat wave, I think, next indeed, week. Indeed, indeed. Indeed, pretty hot, pretty hot stuff. Hot stuff. And talking of hot, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty hot stuff. And talking of hot stuff, obviously, we um, this is the home of hot stuff, uh, clearly. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about um, Twitter, and we're going to be talking about um, British banks. Stroke. Why is London so attractive? Right. So there we go. Um, anyway, so we'll start off with. Um, a story that I saw uh, this week, which uh, said that, there, that um, British banks have actually made more money than their French rivals for the first time since 2015. And this is despite the EU trying to basically um, get jobs over to the continent, um, you know, um, following Brexit. Now, I think this is a very interesting um, topic because mm. it's one of the things that I've heard quite a lot about over my over the t- my time in the city um and i just wondered um well actually sorry so we're starting from the second thing first but anyway, we um we you know i just wondered why um london is so important stroke attractive and i was told by one person um I, you know, that they said, look, the London attracts all the talents. Um, you just get a higher quality of um, of employee over in the UK, which I thought sounded quite controversial. Um, but, you know, wh- what do you think, Ralph, on this? Well, uh, oh, gosh, I think a lot about this subject because um, I, because I have been wondering about the same thing pretty much all my yeah. professional life. I mean, yeah. first of all, do we attract a better quality of candidate here? Let's just yeah. take it as red. I can't really say because I can't compare it because I've never worked in any other location. Um, mm-hmm. But let's just say that's the case. Now, that doesn't quite answer the question yet because the question is still, why do we do this? Why does the London mm. financial market attract a higher quality of candidate? Why do they not work mm. in Frankfurt or Paris or wherever? Mm. And it may be that the answer to that ultimately, in the end, is quite intangible. Um, mm. <laughs> and I wonder whether it is got something to do with a general sort of British mindset. Um, mm. I find the Brits to be very independent, innovative, mm-hmm. Innovative is is the important mm. phrase here. Maybe I can offer an anecdote. I mean, I've never actually worked in Germany, but I once worked for a German bank and I was seconded for two weeks to Germany. What I wanted to do mm. with my employer here is to structure a particular financial product. So I went to mm. Germany uh, to sort of get this done because it involved the departments there. And I was sort of saying, well, I want to structure it in this way. And often mm-hmm. I got a response, oh, you can't actually do that because there is this German regulation here which prevents this. And so I said, yeah. okay, fine. So let me think about this. Maybe we can get around this by structuring it in this way. And the answer mm-hmm. was, ah, there's the EU regulation which doesn't do this. So I mean, basically, I was, it was like talking to Herr und Frau Nein, basically, all, mm-hmm. all yeah. day long. And I 
yeah. but there was something subtle behind that. It looked to me all almost as if people were using regulations as an excuse of not having to do this. Mm. Whereas in London, mm -hmm. people were all very interested in the innovative nature of structuring it. It's probably no mm. coincidence that the term financial engineering, which used to be a term, which used to be a thing 10, 15 years ago, is basically an Anglo-Saxon invention, let's say US and England. Mm. And um, and so I think it's the innovative nature of the financial marketplace, which is one aspect why London has mm. risen to its position of preeminence alongside arguably New York as the only other financial marketplace mm. which can hold the candle uh, to, mm. to London. So that's, mm. one, that's I mean, one thing. It is interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I certainly... Um, you know, I, 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 I think in this country that maybe – so, I mean, one of the things is, is, is our le uh, approach of, of the law um, to, um, to everything I think is quite symptomatic of the way this country tends to approach things. So, I mean, for instance, we have we, – I mean, we do have laws and we do have statutes – but also that's backed by all these, all the case law and things like that. So it may be that there is a statute that says, you know, this is the headline, this is what the case is. And then we have, law, we have cases that then, you know, either sort of back that up, uh, well, but, yeah, back that up. But then you can always try to find exceptions. And what this means is there is a lot of flexibility. And it seems to me that the approach here is very much a case of, you see a problem and you think, you know, you, you then try to step back. So I think as a, this is a huge generalization, but I think that the British approach is to step back and think of how to um, overcome um, obstacles in a creative yet within the law kind of way. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I would argue that, um, again, massive generalization, but the way that I think Americans tend to tackle problems is is all kind of shock and awe. You know, they really throw everything at it. And, you know, let's say a military, you know, all, all, you know, who has the most troops, who has the biggest guns, who has the most ammo, and you literally throw everything at it. They bomb, yeah, they not bomb, but, you know, they literally... They flatten everything and then they go out. I think that that it seems to me to be what you know their you know the American approach to quite a lot of things. Whereas, like I say, I think the Brits sort of think, well, we don't have all the stuff, we don't have all the money, we've got limited resources, so therefore let's do this, try this, and then go around doing that. And I I think that um, as a result, you know, that makes for quite a um, an environment. Well, it makes for an environment where I think that innovation is very much um, uh, encouraged. Yes. Um, I think. Well, that, that's well, what it I seems think to me indeed. Anyway. Uh, again, I think it goes back to as something as intangible as mindset, and because it is so intangible, mm. it sounds as if I'm sort of making this up, and and it's it's immediately something which you might be skeptical of because I can't put that mm. much. Um, tangible evidence supporting my comments yeah but yeah but taking up your point on the law it appears to me that um the law here is based on precedent cases mm -hmm. but obviously a precedent case i mean there was one point when it was an original judgment 
So in mm. other words, the law here in this country is constantly evolving. It evolves mm. through incremental court cases and court judgments, which build yes. on a evolving and developing corpus of law. Ever so often they mm. get codified into statutes, but that mm. is not the basis of the law. It is the mm. flexibly organic breathing development, which makes mm. it also quite flexible. Mm. And if you compare that with Germany, for example, there you have an immutable law, which generically aims to cover all possible cases. Uh, and, mm. and, and, and so that's a much less that's a much more rigid, less flexible way of mm. dealing with the issue. So stepping back mm. from that, what I see in the law, enshrined in the law, is the same sort of philosophy, the same sort of mentality, which I also see <clears throat> in the city of London. Mm -hmm. And that is that English people are not mm. British people. Brits everywhere are not, um, are not threatened by, mm. by lack of regulation. Mm. Whereas I'm guessing that mm. Germans, for example picking on one country here, but it's my country, so I know mm. a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. Germans tend to, again, mm. generalization, tend to be more happy with a overall regulation that governs everything. And so, mm. yeah, definitely. I mean, that is something which uh, adds mm. to the extraordinary yeah. versatility of the, of the financial market here in London, which you just don't have yeah. in yeah. other continental yeah. uh, exchanges. Yeah. That is interesting as well. I mean, I, I mean, the other, I suppose, you know, that, so that's very interesting, particularly if you are a company wanting to list, yes, you know, quite. it's a case of like, you know, we like, well, I think, you know, they like London because there's a more of a, you know, innovative attitude towards trying to get things to market. Um, I also, I suppose as well, the other thing is that there's the, um, there is a broad and sophisticated um, investor base, mm -hmm. which I think is very, uh, you know, is is attractive for companies. I mean, that's, I think that's Absolutely. one of the reasons why, you know, you'll get say, um, you know, some mining companies and things like that list, listing in the UK rather than or as either as their primary or secondary listing because they want access to um, these sort of long-established uh, institutions. Mm -hmm. But I mean, another kind of practical thing is um, that I've always been told is is all is about our mm. location, because during our day, we can see all of the world's markets. Because um, you know, when we come in in the morning, we are catching the end of the Asian markets. Then we start our day. Then it goes to lunchtime, and that's when you know New York starts, and then going on, you know, later in on into the afternoon, you then see um, Asia starting up as well. So effectively, you know, we see everything during our trade, tra well, you know, during our, our working day. And that is a really, um, you know, that's also really useful. Although I would say, I mean, that's been something that always everyone has said to me, although you could say, well, 
you could say that about yes. Paris. That's or, a good point. You know, whatever. But but what? What do you no, think? No, no, no. I think you're right. The, the, this this thing I've also heard this uh, forever that we're sitting. Uh, the, our time mm. zone is sitting in the middle of the. Asian and uh, North American time zone. Mm. But you're right. So does Paris and so mm. does Frankfurt. But just going back to mm. the other point which you made, which goes back to the same thing, it's mentality. It's um, not being faced by lack of regulation, not being faced by uncertainty, and that translates mm. into um, ordinary people in this country being very happy to invest their pension in the equity markets. Mm. Because mm-hmm. English people, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, Brits by and large, I would say, are risk-embracing, whereas Germans, for example, are Mm -hmm. risk-averse. And that Mm. translates into much more liquid, deep equity markets in the UK than you Mm. have anywhere else in Mm -hmm. Europe. Obviously, therefore, Mm. if you're a company and you wish to IPO, you will have to go to London. Of course, you can go Mm. and just list in Frankfurt and Paris if you wish, but very few companies Mm. do that. Everybody has to list in in the UK because you want to make sure that your initial price is, um, well, that it works, basically. I mean, obviously, if you have scarcity Mm. and uh, illiquid markets, then that actually won't work. So so that's a very important second point. The point with the time zones is important, given that these other things are present. It is then a mm. further advantage. Yes, yeah, like the icing it's on a the cake. Conditional thing. It? The and the final cake. thing. Sorry, you were saying. Yeah. I was just going to mention one more thing. No, no, I was, I was saying that. Yeah, go on. And it's again intangible. It's the use of the English language. Mm. I didn't want to cut you off. If, if you want to say mm. something else, please. No, 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 no. No, it's just the use of the English language. And this is, again, intangible. You guys might think, well, everybody speaks English. And this perhaps may be true. I don't Mm. know. But not everybody speaks English in an idiomatic, fluent, near, well, either native speaker type way, if you are a native speaker, or near Mm. native speaker way. It is completely different Mm. if you sit in Frankfurt you know, note the way I pronounce this. It doesn't even sound English. And that mm-hmm. is why that's what the English language tends to do. It doesn't sound English. I mean, you see my accent is bad yeah. enough, but uh, there are worse accents mm-hmm. than mine. I have, Mate, you are, I have been <laughs> told. It's pretty damn perfect. Everybody knows I'm German by the way I speak, but there are worse accents. The worse your accents get, the accent is not quite the thing. I mean, it's, it is difficult, but it's the idiomatic use of English. Like, for example, mm. all these little phrases, which you just don't know mm. if you don't live in this country, if you're mm. not a near native speaker. I mentioned one, like, like six o'clock or whatever in the city. Everybody goes... Beer o'clock, it's beer o'clock, you know. This makes for funny anecdotes. (laughs) Germans who never left the country wouldn't know this. Again, intangible. If you do business in Frankfurt or if you Mm. do business in Paris and you sit around a conference table with um, native speakers and with other people, you choose English as your common language of communication, it is not going to be as natural and as enveloping speaking English with native speakers in London. And and I know this is mm. all very intangible. Very I, 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 couldn't, I, I assure you it's, a, it's, it's an important mm. point. And it, all these little things kind of, I suppose they add up, don't they, really? So, I mean, 
I mean, do you think that this is going to continue to be the case? Or do you think that maybe Brussels will try even harder to kind of funnel people over to um, yes. the <clears throat> Yes, they will. I, mean, I, I think? think they will. And I think it will continue. Uh, two, two things here. I mean, first mm. of all, I, I think we need to put the, the news that uh, specifically the French banks have proven to be less um, <clears throat> profitable than the English banks. That's the news we're discussing. Mm. We need to put this into a little bit of mm. context. Um, there was Brexit. We have a half deal for the financial services sector, but we do have a deal. Mm-hmm. But this is still developing. Mm-hmm. I mean, one attractiveness of London as a market is that we're doing, I don't know, I think 70 to 80% of European derivatives clearing. And Brussels mm-hmm. have said that that is going to continue until 2025. So in other words, we're still mm-hmm. clearing trillions of uh, pounds or dollars or euros, <laughs> I should think, mm-hmm. um, of mm-hmm. derivatives transactions in London. And that is continuing. So it's not as if Brexit has completely... Um, diminished our presence. Then the second thing is, I think mm. that the pandemic, well, the pandemic perhaps, well, it's probably it's probably Russia again. It's probably Putin's war, which comes up again, because some of the sanctions have damaged uh, European-based companies more than uh, London-based companies. BNP Paribas is is mm. one example who had lots of exposure to Russian. Uh, assets and the uh, sanctions have had an effect on that. So there are certain elements there. But to answer your question, beyond these specific dynamics, it is going back to the extraordinary inventiveness and interest Mm. in being innovative that will always be Mm a strength of the London market, which you cannot take away because it is our nature to do that. Mm. And so, yes, sure, Mm. Brussels Mm. will certainly try to siphon off more people into uh, into the other bourses. Mm. And we shouldn't be uh, complacent about this. I mean, currently, we are still benefiting from the infrastructure which has developed here in the UK. That's one other thing. Frankfurt, Paris, etc. They just don't have the infrastructure needed to conduct a deep uh, uh, volume IPO. But that will not be the case forever. Mm. So these other marketplaces are going to catch mm. up. But also I, I, I predict that in the absence of um, membership of the single market, London is going to go its own way uh, and is going to emerge as a specific financial marketplace for things which we haven't even thought about yet, for SPACs, for IPOs, mm. for uh, financially engineered mm. products. That's going to mm. be the strength mm. of London, and I think that's going to go, to uh, continue. Mm. No, indeed. So, interesting stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah. You know, obviously, we'll we'll see what happens. But then again, I mean, I think in terms of profitability, general um, activity and stuff, um, I think a lot of that's going to be adversely affected by the inflationary environment that we're in and the the, the, the um, you know supply chains and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that was that is going to play a, a major role. I think in any kind of activity for the next year or two, at the very least, uh, and obviously the war as well. 
So, um, okay, so let's move on to the other thing. So um, I didn't actually, I wasn't able to include this uh, at all this week in in uh, Watson's Daily because it, it happened after, you know, I published uh, on, on Friday. Um, but um, so it seems that um, Elon Musk is saying now that he doesn't want to buy Twitter. Um, I think it's very interesting. I mean, I've said, you know, since he seems to have a bit of a wobble, you know, uh, about the the number of mm-hmm. bot accounts. Um, since then, I did think, you know, is he just trying to get a better price here? Now, for what it's worth, I mean, the way I look at it is that, you know, he's he's now saying, I want to walk away from this $44 billion um, uh, takeover. Um, I think... I I think he actually wants to buy Twitter. That's my opinion. I think he wants to buy Twitter. I think that he either has want, is is doing this all along as as a way to reduce the price. So reduce it from 44 million uh, billion dollars to whatever whatever it might be. Um and this is also in a way quite a, a good ruse to get rid of any other potential buyers because he's put in a knockout offer. Then he's come back and he said, I want to see the number of the of bot accounts because I've looked under the hood and I don't like what I see. Then, um, you know, this, this stuff all kicks off and it just makes me think that... Um, now, are there going to be realistically any other buyers? Because they're probably thinking, "Well, what's the point? I'll just put in an offer, and he'll just he'll just beat us anyway." If he really wants to buy it, and if he doesn't, then maybe there really is something wrong. So actually, let's not bother. You know. So in effect, what he's what I think he's done, whether intentionally or not, is to scare off other potential investors and me- and it means that twitter may have to um accept a lower th- uh, offer than he originally gave so i don't know i mean what do you think do you think it's gamesmanship here or it, it's really difficult to decide when i saw that news i asked myself this same question i'm Hmm. I'm just not sure I understand Elon Musk. You know, he's a he's an eccentric hmm. genius. Um, so I'm not surprised mm-hmm. I don't understand him. But if you just look at the, his his wider, um, let, let's say, fabric, uh, which is Elon Musk, I mean, you can immediately see that he's a technological visionary and he has developed things which actually exist hmm. and which arguably have added value to society. PayPal, uh, SpaceX... Hmm. Everybody knows Tesla, of course, and then there are some visionary developments which may or may not come to fruition. There's Permalink, and then there are some other projects. But then, on the other hand, mm-hmm. you have this more erratic Elon Musk, an Elon Musk who puts on, mm-hmm. who puts a tweet out. I'm just trying to think what that was. Yes, who puts a tweet out. Uh, announcing that he wishes to take Tesla private. Uh, This was borderline illegal Mm. and certainly against regulation, so he sort of got Mm. away with it just. 
but that's not a person mm. who is aware of how corporate governance works and how he needs to behave within that envelope of rules which which govern interactions in in the marketplace then you have the elon musk mm. who invests billions into in bitcoin and puts it on the tesla balance sheet and two weeks later announces that bitcoin is against his his values because it uses so much electricity uh, <laughs> in um, in producing <laughs> what is known as proof of work so all this is weird mm. and so so if i look at this particular situation and development and try to put it into these buckets then i do wonder is this the mm. technological visionary who has a plan or is it an erratic elon musk who does a knee-jerk reaction perhaps as buyer's remorse and i can't quite decide mm. for this to be a machiavellian plan what he would need to do is um, initiate a development at the end of which will be a lower price for him to pay. But this net effect is there for mm -hmm. other companies as well. We now know that apparently Twitter mm. has 20% of bot accounts, whereas Twitter claims it has 5% mm. of bot accounts. The lawsuit will actually mm. reveal what's right and you know 20 percent is is elon musk's claim but no other other um mm -hmm. uh, bidders could come to the market and, and they could say well we only pay whatever 20 dollars uh, per share because of uh, the information which came to market so i think we just have to wait and see what mm -hmm. the lawsuit um, is going to develop in the end it's going mm -hmm. to be an economic decision you're right in the end they may well settle and uh, twitter might actually just uh, mm. uh, say sorry Elon, twitter might say okay you, you now you're offering 30 dollars that's cool uh, but whether mm. if mm. we get there whether that was the result of a you know a a strategic master plan or not i don't know so sometimes i think elon does things mm. um sort of shoots from the hip and then manages developments yeah yeah i mean you know maybe he's he's you know shaking the tree as it were um but i also think it might be interesting in that it might have some kind of you know read across in terms in terms of other social media networks mm -hmm. and maybe make investors or you know yeah think or share and shareholders think more about let's say facebook instagram particularly instagram you know there's there are lots mm. of bot accounts you know and um you wonder whether suddenly the, the attention is going to then turn on them and say well actually how how many bot mm -hmm. accounts are there on Instagram? You know, and is this going to affect? Is this going to affect things? Because, you know, I often get um, on our Instagram, you know, on the Watson's Daily Instagram accounts, I often get bots, you know, saying, "Oh, um, promote on such." It's weirdly, it's like records, some uh, record companies saying, you know, promote on such and such records or whatever, and. So um, there's always that, and you do you do wonder how many mm -hmm. of these things mm -hmm. there are out there. So, um, so again, maybe this will be another 
potential impact of, of what is going on with well, regard it, it, to Twitter it's at of the moment. Course possible. I mean, you, you're right. It's an interesting point. The read-through, the so-called read-through. When I was an analyst in the city, company X mm. uh, issued whatever, profit warning, and the immediate question from the sales force was, oh, does that actually apply to other companies who do similar things as well? That's mm -hmm. sort of known as the read-through. Mm. And so when you... Uh, mm. refer to this. Yes, it's well possible that tech analysts are now busy or have been busy since this news broke um, working out mm. what the real percentage of bot accounts is in other tech companies. Mm. And, and I have never been a tech analyst, so I just have to sort of throw out the question there. What is, in fact, the link between the number of accounts and mm. the valuation of a tech company? There must be one, but is it a 10 years mm. link? The more users you mm. have, the more accounts you have, the mm. more advertising revenue can you attract? Or is it some sort of more direct link? Mm. If it is a direct link, mm. then yes, you can sort of basically say, okay, we valued the company on the assumption that there were 5% bot accounts. Now we hear it's 20%. Therefore, mm. the company is now valued at this much less. Mm. But I don't think mm. it's that easy. Mm. I think it is more likely to be a correlation between the number of users and the advertising revenue mm. uh, which you are able to attract. And so to, purely in terms of yeah. technical valuation of the company um, in, in isolation of mm. this one metric, which is the percentage of bot accounts, I'm unsure how much you can basically mm. uh, justifiably say to Twitter uh, the higher percentage of bot accounts might be a might translate into that much of diminishing value so so I don't know how, how that, that that equation mm. works exactly but I if you just look at the share price mm. I think Twitter mm. is trading at thirty dollars or something it is expected to trade mm. less mm. when the markets open on Monday uh, so mm. clearly they are already trading mm. at much less than the than the Elon Musk offer price. Mm. Mm. I mean, you know, they're having lots of problems generally. I think, you know, obviously this this sense. So there's one, I think that there's this, um, you know, uh, sector rotation out of tech. Um, thing. So a lot of the tech companies have suffered. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is this cloud hanging over Twitter. Is Elon Musk going to buy it? Is it not? Is he not? That creates a lot of uncertainty as well and excuses mm -hmm. for people to not get involved. Um, they, they are cutting, you know, they've done a hiring mm -hmm. freeze. Um, they are, I mean, I saw that, they, that, that, so one thing I did see was that, um, they cut their recruitment team by a third, um, which I think is, I always think it's a bit symbolic because I think, I think it, it's, it's a hundred people, um, which is not huge in the scheme of things, certainly for Twitter, but it, it is putting a message across that we're not, we don't need to hire loads of people because we're cutting everyone. So therefore, and, and, you know, the implication mm -hmm. is by cutting the recruiters, you're, you're saying that things aren't mm -hmm. going to get much better for quite some time. Um, although I would also argue that it is dead easy to get recruiters in because actually what people may not realize, and obviously it's only something I, I learnt when I was, um, you know, when I was a headhunter, that what happens is you get these big volume recruiters um, 
I'm trying to think. Um, you know, even you know, even uh, even the likes of things like Michael Page and 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 stuff like that. I mean, they they have this. I'm trying to think. Um, there, there's some other. There's some other big ones which I, I just for, for the life of me can't remember for, for the moment. But anyway, what happens is you get say a big company like Twitter dealing with a big um, you know uh, a, a dealing with a big recruiter, and then the recruiter says, "Well, hey, we'll send some of our people to work mm-hmm. within Twitter, right?" So then those recruiters then work within Twitter, and it's quite funny because when they then work in Twitter, they say we work for Twitter when. They actually uh, don't. They yeah. work for well, they sort of do, but they don't really. They're not really Twitter employees, but they like saying it because it's a lot. It has a lot more sort of street cred than it does saying I work for such and such recruiter. Um, but you know, um, so yes, it, I'd say, like I say, it's symbolic that they're they're cutting these people because you can you can get loads of others in. You know, ship in the the, mm-hmm. the third parties. You know, it's fine. But like I say, it's sending a message. It's saying that things aren't going to be great for for a while, so that's what we're doing. Um, and anyway, I think um, ultimately, you know, what is going to happen here? I'll, I I sort of think, well, we're I, he's either going to he's either going to um, get a lower price because they'll take to court and they'll go, oh, do you know what? Can't be bothered. Let's just let's just talk and get a lower price, right? So there's either that, or what he could do is to say, um, is is essentially make more allegations or say, well, you know, put more reasons as to why he's not bought it. Um, watch the share price fall through through the floor, and then make another offer, but uh, you know, another hostile takeover bid at a much lower price. And because everyone else will have been scared off um, by um, what he found under the hood when he originally made the offer that he's going to get no opposition so you know i don't know maybe that's that's really looking too far into it but i don't think that is well i don't know exactly what the rules are in america but um if you did it here in the uk i don't think you could come back with another offer uh, before the expiry of six months time, perhaps it's nine months. Uh, I think it's six. That's right. Yes. And so obviously, yeah, it's yeah, it's the yeah. the put up or shut up rule, isn't and it? And so That's what obviously, they, they often call it. Yeah. what you have now is that Twitter is going to trade it maybe $27 or whatever, let's call it, for, for the sake of argument, that yeah. they might trade at $30 for the next six months. And so obviously, then he could come mm. in and say, oh, well, here I am again. Uh, this time I'm offering uh, $36, which is a 20% premium on the average mm. last six-month price. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that's a cool offer. Mm-hmm. So take it. And so if that mm. was part of a plan, then this is how it could come to fruition. But again, I wonder why mm. there would not be any other buyers. Because... If you, if there is somebody else yeah. who is genuinely interested in purchasing Twitter, then none of these developments should necessarily put them off. You know, you you go into the data mm. room, you do your due diligence. It turns yeah. out that perhaps this will need to be seen whether this is actually going to be mm. upheld by in 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 a law suit mm. which might be coming. Um, you see that some of the metrics are mm. different. Now you know what they are. Why? Why would you not come in and bid at thirty dollars? Mm. 
Well, all I'd say on that one is that, you know, volumes have definitely decreased, certainly both sides of the Atlantic. You know, IPOs, M&A has all mm. has all been, you know, drying up. Um, so, I mean, that's that's another thing. And even um, private equity as well, um, you know, that their sort of massive kind of momentum of deal making appears to be slowing down as well. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, mm. we'll see what happens. It's a very interesting development. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, the, 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 he's got a lot on his plate now, hasn't he? I mean, I think he's got eight. He's, he's got this, and he's got eight kids now. Does he? Doesn't he? He's just really? had some more twins or something, hasn't he? I've forgotten what it was. Yeah, got eight kids. Various, wow. various by I various hope he different finds better names. So uh, he's he's uh, he's a, is he busy? <laughs> Yeah, he must be. Yes. Uh, the, the, one thing, the, the, the final thing I would yeah. like to say on this, yeah. it does look as if, you're right, Elon Musk has a very clear, I think, individual and private interest in buying Twitter because there, there's a philosophical thing about Elon Musk. I mean, he, he, mm. he's this champion of unencumbered free speech and he sees that uh, militated mm. against by the current Twitter policy of um, not allowing certain accounts on the platform and it almost as if he, he comes over sometimes yeah, as, yeah. as if he has some sort of missionary zeal to to change the world and often that's for the good you mm. know we, we have tesla we have spacex etc but that mm. might be the motivation behind him mm. wanting to buy twitter so i think you're right in the end i will predict yeah. the lawsuit is going to start the parties are going to settle and we'll we'll see We'd see some price coming out of this. It's going to be an economic uh, dynamic, mm. not a legal one, I mm. think. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, then we'll look. Um, yeah. On that note, I think we'll end today. Um, it's very interesting questions. I mean, I, I do that that London thing has always fascinated me and I always, I was always quite skeptical because you know I always got very very pro London arguments but um but anyway no it's very interesting to hear um you know what you have to say about that and of course the Elon Musk Twitter thing and that's <laughs> been going rumbling on now for for a while so um and I'll just say actually I've, I better forget just just before but just before I go um I I thought I might as well say mm. something about this because I'm half Japanese mm. um is that I think that obviously that the the assassination of Abe, you know, ex-Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, is is a real shocker. I mean, or any kind of assassination is a shocker, but in Japan, you literally, you never, <laughs> ever <laughs> see gun crime. You just don't. Um, and which is iron, in an, in an, and ironically, in Japan. Um, I'd say it's probably one of the countries that is the least. There's the least need, but. All the policemen have guns, right. right? They all have the. I mean, at least they have an also. I've never seen them draw a gun, but um, they all—they're all armed, and yet they don't need to be. And um, this is really shocking because, and I think that this is going to have huge implications because, um, you know, when when um, uh, politicians are campaigning in in the, you know like their local elections and stuff they literally do stand on street corners stand on a you know like a platform on the top of a car or something like that you know all this stuff and i that's really i'd say that's really going to change now so um you know it's 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 very sad and the other thing as well i mean he he really was quite amazing in terms of the fact that he stayed in for so long because i always used to think that it was a very much a 
you know, Japanese politics is a bit of a joke because um, I think unlike many other developed countries, the economic sort of fortunes and the political fortunes are really quite different. You can, you know, in Japan, um, you could have, I mean, this is why there were so many prime ministers. If you, if you ever have the time, look in Wikipedia and look at a list of Japanese prime ministers and you'll be amazed um, at how many there are in such a short space of time. Uh, I think when I was studying in, in you know, in, to- in Japan, uh, you know, many years ago uh, at university, while I was at university for one year, I think I saw three prime ministers. Um, it, it is just ridiculous. And so often what happens is another prime minister economy does nothing. Right. As in like the markets just go. Nah. Yeah. Um, but obviously when it happens elsewhere, like prime minister leaves, etc., generally there's a there's a big reaction. Um, but, you know, um, but yeah, but it, but but he broke that cycle and he was in for a long, a long time, very much for a, for a Japanese prime minister. Mm-hmm. And he left because of health concerns. So, I mean, this is a big thing. You know, this is a big thing for the world's third big, biggest economy. Um, and OK, he wasn't the serving prime minister, but there is an upper house election tomorrow. Um, and there's all this talk about the constitution um, and changing the constitution to make it so that Japan can be a bit more militant, I guess, is one way of, 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 of expressing it. Uh, and so um, and I wonder whether there will be a bit of an element of a sympathy vote, um, because Abe was very much for this change in the constitution, as is the current prime minister. So. Um, Interesting stuff. That's that's coming in the you know the end of the weekend really. But um, but anyway, it's a uh, you know it's a very you know that yes. is such yeah, a, I, that I is agree. A huge it saddened me greatly when but, I saw uh, this because uh, I also know him mm. as a mm. politician who basically put Japan back on the map uh, after a reasonably long mm. period of economic decline. Uh, opened the economy, opened yeah. Japan yeah, internationally. He was being criticized for not doing enough yeah. to apologize for uh, the activities in the war. Mm. But that is a matter of taste, whether he has done enough mm. or not. And I think on balance, he yeah. has emerged mm. as one of the most important post-war uh, prime ministers in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. It, it will be interesting to see yeah. what is next and how Japan reacts to this, whether it's going to be a hunkering down a little bit yeah. in, into domestic policy. I, I, I don't know, because we, we have, of course, the Chinese threat in the South yeah. Asian Sea, and that is, of course, something yeah. which is impacting Japan as well. So to yeah. your point, uh, a Japan which is yeah. more capable of defense yeah. and taking an active role military in the South Asia Sea, um, yeah. Is, is, yeah. is possibly going to be the consequence of this. But, yeah, as it yeah. is, I, I yeah. was very sad to see this. We'll see. Very tragic. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. But anyway, <laughs> but there we go. Um, sorry, keeping it light. Uh, uh, have, a, have a great weekend or whatever it is you're up to uh, on whatever day this is when you're, when you're watching this. Uh, but thank you very much, as always, Ralph. Um, for It's always good fun. Cool. Thanks, um, so, Peter. yeah, thanks we'll so be very back much again for having me. Week. Bye, guys. Okay, thanks.